0: I feel a bit old tonight. My my youngest grandchild is sitting in front of me. (laughs) I'm also trying out some new technology. It's called paper. (laughs) I'm having trouble though. Just it will not go onto landscape. So maybe someone can help me. 1 John 3.8 says a few other things, but one thing what we want to concentrate on tonight is that it says, for this purpose was the Son of God manifest. And so what purpose? What purpose was that? And it goes on to say it was to destroy the works of the evil one. We know the evil one is the devil, Satan, quite a few names. That scripture calls him the evil one. And so what what were his works? It started even before the earth was created, when pride came into his heart and he got cast down. He wanted to be higher than God. started there. He came to this earth and we all know the story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. He didn't have to go far to find them, to... To tempt them, just like a like a child who you tell not to touch something, you'll always find them standing right in front of what they're not to touch. So he didn't have to go far to find them. They're Adam and Eve's sons. We know what happened there. So, and we can go through the Old Testament just a quick read, and we can see the works of the evil one. We read how this new king would come and it would say he was worse than his father or worse than his predecessor. All through it, we see the works of the evil one. And even with a, with a quick interpretation, we might say that Calvary, the work at Calvary, destroyed the works of the evil one. But it didn't. It didn't. Have a look at history from from the time of Jesus, Anno Domini, the AD, and we will see that the works of the evil one were not destroyed at Calvary. Have a quick look at Hitler's Germany and the people he destroyed. Uh, Khrushchev's Russia, how many people died in that reign? Chairman Mao's Communist China, 60 million, they estimate. That's, you know, that's over double the population of Australia. And that was their own people that they killed. Pol Pot's Cambodia. They estimate that at between 50 to 60 million people. I mean, that we can't even get our mind around those sorts of figures. And so the evil one's work is still being done, sadly. But Calvary, what Jesus did at Calvary, was all about you and me. It was wasn't to destroy any works of the devil. It was to deal with the sin in our lives. That's what Calvary was for. And, and he did a brilliant job of it too. But we have a part to play in destroying the works of the evil one. You might say, hang on, I'm not God. How can I destroy the works of the devil? I want to tell you how. Just a few of the things that you can do. The day you committed your life to Christ, you destroyed the works of the evil one. You come to church, you're destroying the works of the evil one. You give of your tithes and offerings, you're destroying the works of the evil one. You do an act of kindness, you're destroying that work. You resist the temptation that he's going to put in your face, you're destroying, you're destroying. And as we come now, I mean, I'm, I'm shortening this down because it's actually a, a sermon, so I'm just taking some parts out of it. But what, what Calvary, as I said, was Calvary was all to do with us. And as we take communion, that's another way of destroying the works of the devil. And we do it, we do it to remember, to remember from whence, We came to remember that our our sin was dealt with on that day. Our salvation came on that day. You know, three o'clock Friday afternoon, the devil thought he'd won. Even Saturday, all of Saturday, they partied. They thought they'd won. Sometime Sunday morning, they got a pretty rude shock. They found out they hadn't won. Jesus turned up and said, I want the keys. And I, I, part of me thinks I would have, wouldn't have minded being there to see the look on the devil's face when Jesus knocked on the door and said, keys, devil. And that's all part of Calvary. And that's all part of what we, we celebrate and enjoy and worship here right now, that Jesus won. The devil's going to get his comeuppance. It's in the future. He'll uh, He's going to fall for a thousand years and then he's going to face judgment. And he's going to get cast into the lake of fire, him and his minions, forever and ever. And we will be free of the devil. And, and that's that's something to get excited about. It's something to look forward to, I think. There's the next great, chapter in our Christianity is the rapture of the church when Jesus is going to come back and get his church and we will be with him we'll be with him forever we're gonna we're gonna see Armageddon but um, as spectators that's exciting it's not going to be a nuclear holocaust Jesus is just going to speak it and it'll be all over but if you'll stand with me now Let's let's just pray. Father, Father, how we thank you. How we thank you for Jesus Christ. How we thank you that you sent your son to destroy the works of the evil one. Father, we thank you that Calvary, he took our sin, he took the punishment. Father, for us, we didn't have to suffer that punishment that our sin deserved. Jesus took that for us. Father Father we can walk with our heads held high today knowing that our sins are forgiven knowing that we can walk in victory Lord a death a death that was suffered for us that we can't even imagine father agony beyond our comprehension for us Lord we remember we remember strengthen us father to to destroy the works of the evil one in our lives as best we can. And Lord, to you, all to you we give. Thank you, Father, as we eat and we drink tonight, we do it to remember what's been done for us. Thank you, Lord. Let's eat and drink.
1: That he would actually, uh, uh, Father, as we repent, turn from our wicked ways. That you forgive us and give us life. And tonight, as your word is preached, we just pray that you'll distribute life. That people will hear life and truth in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, everybody. May I take your seats? I want to turn to you, uh, your attention tonight to a passage of Scripture that was a story Jesus told when he was on earth here. And it's, for many of us, it will be a familiar passage, a familiar story. Some of us call it the prodigal son, the story of the prodigal son. Uh, some would call it the lost son, uh, the younger son, the, you know Whatever you may call it, the truth is is that there's some incredible uh, life lessons contained within this story for us tonight. And it's just as Luke chapter 15, verses 11 to 24. Let me just read it to you. Um, it'll come up on the screen. You use your Bible, your own apparatus to look at it. But let me read it. It says, Jesus continued. So obviously, Jesus had been speaking before this. And so he continues to talk. And He says, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate so he's divided his property between them. You may be aware of this, but for a younger son to ask for a Jewish... Remember, this is Jewish family. And for the younger son to ask the Jewish father, um, you know, I want my share of this state, uh, before it was due time for him to receive his inheritance, it was not a, was not a good thing. It was, a, it was a disrespectful thing to his father because you only received your inheritance from the father, basically, when your father had passed away. Okay? And so the youngest son is really saying to his dad, I just kind of wish you were dead. <laughs> That's not a very respectful thought, is it? Or way of going about life. But that was the custom. And this is what this younger son is doing to his father. And, um, and so the father actually gives the younger son his inheritance. Um, And it says in verse 13, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Okay, he took all the money he had and he just squandered it. He just wasted it. You know what I'm talking about. People go and waste it. Sometimes people who receive an inheritance or receive a windfall of some type of money and within maybe months or years, it's all gone. Well, that was this young man's story all gone. He didn't invest it. He wasn't wise about it. He was foolish. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. And so he went and hide himself out. Now he's, he's gone from having everything to having nothing because he's wasted it. And now he's got to find some employment to exist because he's literally um, has found himself to the point where he's no money, no food, and he's starving. And so... He went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to, to the field to feed pigs. And once again, you'd be well aware that Jewish people don't you know, touch pigs because pigs were seen as an unclean animal in Jewish culture. And now he's feeding them. And not only that, he longed to fill his stomach with the, the food that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So he's obviously not a, he's physically hungry and starving. And when he came to his senses... Aren't you glad that we come to our senses sometimes? (laughs) And he he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and I've sinned against earth. I'll just stick that down there. And um, uh, where are we? Heaven against you. Against heaven and against you, not against Earth. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. Well while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him, and ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Now that's probably not the response the son was thinking he'd receive. He was probably thinking his father's not going to respond that way in any way, shape, his father probably would have thought you're back and would have maybe disciplined him and just made him a hired servant. And, um, but the son said to his father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servant, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a party and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. And that was quite literally how they saw their son. Uh, they quite literally saw he was dead. He was dead to them in the sense—not not that they would reject him if he came back—but dead in the sense that he'd walked away. He'd walked away from his um, his family. He'd walked away from everything. He'd, he'd cut the uh, cord, so to speak, to his family. And and but here he is. He was in a sense he was dead. But now he's come back. He's alive. And they celebrated because they um, celebrated because he was found again. You should look at this story he would be aware that this young man made some pretty bad decisions in the, right at the start of this story. Pretty bad decisions. Um, but yet, the decisions that were so bad, he redeemed himself because he made some incredibly good decisions in the difficult times of his life. Sometimes it's easy to make bad decisions when everything's going well, you know? And you just kind of slip into a pattern, and you make some pretty bad decisions because you're no pressure, no struggle, and you make some bad decisions. Bad decisions about what you're going to do with your life. Bad decisions like, oh, you know, will I, uh, you know, um, uh, will I get involved in things I shouldn't get involved in? Will I sit watch things I shouldn't watch? It, it, because everything's going okay. But then, you know, things start to fall out of the bottom of your world, and you find you're in a difficult situation and you lost everything. And maybe those friends who were there aren't there anymore, and, and you know, haven't got as much money. And, and for this young man, it meant that he was literally starving to death. And, and so he had to make some decisions. And sometimes it's easy to make bad decisions in good times, but it's not, it's not as easy to make good decisions in bad times. And this young man made some pretty good decisions in pretty difficult circumstances. Very good decisions, in actual fact, Um, and you know the truth is, for all of us, we can make some good and bad decisions in life. But you know, I think we 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 need to see simply, but the decisions we make are pretty paramount to how we're going to live life. You know, um, we can sometimes think, well, I'm just going to leave it up to God, and no, no, you've got to be involved in it and make good decisions in life. And In many ways, although God, providentially, will, will direct our lives and He will give us things in wisdom and truth, we've got to make the decision whether we're going to take a hold of that wisdom, take a hold of His Word, and live in obedience, don't we? So we have to make right decisions in life, and and sometimes in life we can say we can go through life and say and, and live life and saying it's not my fault, you know, whatever bad things happen to you. Sometimes we can say, well, it's not my fault. However, your life. However your life is going tonight, you cannot say, well, it's someone else who's responsible for what I'm facing. Because you're the, really the master of your own destiny in many ways. I know God ultimately, as we hand our life over to him, he rules and reigns and he can lead us in great wisdom. But you've got to make the decision to allow him to have the reins of your life, the steering wheel of your life, don't you? And so we've got to make, so we, and we can't say, well, it's, it's not my fault. All these bad things. Now, I know there may be some things in life that happen to you. You think, well, I didn't really want that to happen and I didn't cause that to happen. And It's just some things aren't good that happen to us and it isn't our fault in some ways. But, you know, the reality is what decisions are you going to make in the midst of the bad thing that's happened to you? That's the important thing. That's the things you've got to make, the decisions you've got to think about. Am I going to respond well? or I'm going to respond badly in the midst of the difficult times like this young man found himself am I going to make the good decisions and and basically I think when you understand that you that you know it's not everybody else's fault but you you start to take responsibility for your life and you start to weigh up the choices you make and you make them wisely who knows that are you there tonight oh that's good i was just wondering for a second <laughs> See, some people could say, oh "Well, it's just fate. It's just fate." You can say, "Well, my life is just fate." You know what fate is? Fate is what we call things that happen to us when we don't understand that we make the decisions in life. <laughs> and, and life is not just the toss of the coin. You know, heads or tails. Heads, are, I'll, I'll, I'll go and live somewhere else. Or tails, I'll go and live over here. Or you know, it's not just. If, I don't think it's fate at all. I don't even believe in luck. Is that okay? I don't think I'm a lucky person at all. I just think I'm a blessed person. I think, you know, luck's got nothing to do with it. So don't invest your time in chasing luck, invest your time in being blessed. (laughs) See, someone once said destiny is not a matter of chance, it's a matter of choice. Come on. See, the Bible says that God knit you together in your mother's womb. In other words, he took time and conscious thought to put you together. Your birth was not fate. It wasn't just luck. It wasn't just a happening. It wasn't just a decision of a couple people. No, there's purpose in your life. There's purpose in your birth. There's purpose in your life right now and destiny. You weren't made just to float through this world and just let things happen to you, whatever happens. No, make decisions about what happens to you. And you live so different. So it's not fate. Some people say about decision, well, my past is too bad. I've got too bad a past. My past is too horrific. I'm, I'm, I'm too disadvantaged to have any great future. You know, your past is exactly that. It's past. You know, a man or a woman, a man called, sorry, Paul, he wasn't a woman, a man called Paul had this to say in the Bible, one thing I do is forgetting those things which are behind me, and I press forward to those things which are ahead. You know, there's a lot of good men and women in this world today who had a horrific past, yet they do incredible things. Incredible things. Amazing. You know, and it's because they've realized the past is past. We don't need to live under the cloud of all the mistakes I've made or all the dysfunction I had in my family or whatever happened. We can live a new day today and, and, and and create a new future and a new destiny as we obey and walk with God. And the truth is you can't change your past. You can only change the future depending on the decisions you make tonight and tomorrow and this week. So what kind of decisions are you going to make? Because they're important, aren't they? This young man gives us some in- insight. I love what God, uh, God says in Deuteronomy 30 verse 90 in the Old Testament Scripture. He says, um, he says, you know, I've set before you life and death blessing and cursing. Choose life. Choose life. And you might say, yeah, 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 no problem, I will. But what are you going to do tomorrow when you're given an opportunity to obey or disobey what you know is right or wrong? Are you going to choose? Because when we disobey, we choose death. But when you choose, when you obey what's true, you choose life. So it's easy to say, "Tonight, yeah, 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 I'm going to choose life." But what about when the temptation and the struggle, you know, kind of confronts us in life, or we've got a a, maybe a friend who says, "Oh, come and do this with me, or do that with me, or come and," you know, um, you've got to think about that. Are you going to say, "No, I'm going to choose life, not with the way your way." I'm not going to let pressure get to me, whatever it may be. So, let's just for a moment tonight just talk about this young man who ultimately, who did originally make some pretty bad choices in life, but ultimately in a bad situation, he made some pretty amazing choices as well. And we can look at the uh, the um, prodigal son or the lost son, and we can say, oh, he was a bit of a mess, wasn't he? but you know, I think he was. He, I think he was um, a pretty good young man in the end. I think he knew the truth, he just didn't want to acknowledge it for a season in his life. And finally, he walked into it because the first thing I see about choices is you've got to base your decisions on truth and honesty. You've got to look at what's true. You know, the Bible says, think about those things that are true in Philippians 4 8. Think on those things that are good and, and you know, lovely and right. You know, we've got to make decisions based on truth and honesty. And we've got to. Um, You know, Because this young man in verse 17, it says, When he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to eat and to spare? And I'm perished with hunger. Come on. He came to himself. The young man came. In other words, he started to be honest with himself. He started to be real with himself. See, honesty is not just a good policy, but it's the first step to a better life. I'll say that again. Honesty is not just a good... You heard that saying? Honesty is the best policy. Well, it's not just the best policy. It's the first step to a better life. <laughs> you got to realize that. The young man was headed for total destruction till verse 17. Let me just kind of point it out to you. Verse 12, he says, give me. It's a selfish attitude, isn't it? Give me, give me more, give me. All about me, 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 me. That's what he was like. Verse 13, wasted his possessions. You know, it's one thing to be selfish, but it's really foolish to then take what you got and just waste it. Oh, double whammy. Verse 14, he began to be in want. He he had this, you know, now he he's lost everything and he's got nothing left. And he realize this is not good. It's a downward spiral for this young man. Verse 15: join himself to a piggery. And as I said, Jews regarded pigs as unclean, and yet he breaks with custom and he's involved with them he wants to eat their food he was starving in verse 16 wanted to eat what they had and then verse 17 praise God for the verse 17 in our lives because it says he his recovery begins what happened he came to himself do you tonight need to come to yourself and say hey what's honestly truth here the things that I'm doing do I need just to stop because they're not truth and they're not good and they're not honest you know it's the first step to a better future. And if we want to change our life around to start making better choices, we have to start being just honest and truthful. Honest and truthful. Acknowledge where we're at right now. I love that about God, about Jesus. God, doesn't, God looks at where we are right now. and He says, hey, come on. We can move upward from this point. I don't care where you've started from but let's move up let's move away from that which isn't truth which isn't going to help you which isn't sincere which isn't right isn't proper and let's move into something that's going to bring blessing God wants you to stay start from where you are don't ever get discouraged and think well I haven't you know I've done this and this no 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 let's remember the past is past today is a new day so I love Psalm 100 uh, sorry Psalm 40 verse 11 it says, your truth, the psalmist says, the, guy, the person who wrote this said this. Your truth continually preserves me, Lord. It preserves me. In other words, he says, it keeps me from premature death. There's a lot of good people in the grave tonight. You know why? Because they lived on lies. And it, and it, it led down a path, a spiral downwards. They just took a point, to a point and, it, and they lost their life prematurely. It's sad to see that happen. It shouldn't happen. A lot of good people um, today because of drug overdoses. A lot of good people were, t- were sold the lie that they got no future, no hope, and they, came, and they took their lives. All of us know people like that. And I'm not trying to bring up stuff, but I want you to know they, they, they listened to the lie. But you know, the truth is, God says, um, truth will preserve your life. It'll bring life to you. Uh, it 'll keep you from premature death, um, and if it 's not physical death, it can just be death to life. you know you 've seen some dead people walking they got no they're just yeah they 're just out of it because there 's no blessing, no future, they don 't feel like there 's a hope they don 't know the joy of, of the things that God wants to provide for them because they 're just living and allowing the lies uh, to invade their lives and not living in truth. In the Garden of Eden, there was a couple called Adam and Eve. You've probably read about them. <laughs> and, and Adam and Eve listened to the lie of the serpent and ate of the forbidden fruit. And from that point, death entered the equation of their lives. Uh, truth does the opposite. It has the ability to preserve our life. Lies take our life. So I, when you make decisions, can you get really honest with yourself? Sometimes, you know, because the lie actually looks really nice it looks really good it's actually you know it, it it's pleasant it'll appeal to your night and make you feel good it'll make you feel right it'll oh it feels nice it just it, but you know it'll only be for a season and then it'll destroy you that's what lies do they make you feel good for a moment sometimes and then it takes from you it chokes you And to make, and sometimes to make the decision of truth and honesty isn't easy. It's hard. It's like this young man. It wasn't easy for him to admit he he was an idiot and foolish and wrong. He had to humble himself. Humility is not easy sometimes. He had to humble himself and come back to his father. Honesty and truth has healing ability. I want to tell you it would it wouldn't have been comfortable for, for the young man to admit he was wrong it wouldn't have been comfortable to admit his dad was right it would have been humbling to admit he was he was not a high-flying city boy but a servant in his father's household the young man had to be honest with himself to be honest brings peace into our hearts it does not the easiest decision but it's the right decision which leads me to the next thought about this young man making right choices. You've got to make choices that are significant and not just popular. Not just popular. Um, this young man, in it, now there's nothing wrong with making some decisions you make will be popular because they're good decisions. Okay, but not all popular decisions are good decisions. Some of them can be downright bad decisions. They're not good decisions at all. And so, but sometimes, as I said, the decision we make, it, it looks good. It, Mom, you know if it promises quick money or quick promotion or, or quick this, or you know all the bells and whistles sometimes, maybe you need to just stand back and say, "Is that the right decision? That's a popular decision, but is it a significant decision? See, uh, a significant decision um, for the young man in his initial uh, conversations with his father would to be say, "Dad, I was thinking about your inheritance." But what do you think? You think, God, I dad, I should really probably just stay and grow up a little bit? And I think it's before I have that inheritance and, and wait till you part. And his dad would have probably said, yeah, yeah. So that would have been significant. It's not the it's not the feel-good decision, but it is the significant. And sometimes we gotta be careful we don't just make popular decisions that and as I said, not all decisions are wrong that are popular, but they can't if they're not good and it's kind of like just popular because everybody's doing it i want to just tell you out there not everybody's doing it <laughs> don't listen to that lie so the young son in verse 13 um, it says took his journey in other words it means to go away into a foreign parts and he he lived independent of his father's will. He walked away from his family. He had no regard for his inheritance. He wasted that in immoral living. He walked away from which gave him significance. He walked away from his family. He walked away from the inheritance, really, that he would have received if he'd stayed with his dad. He walked away from that which gave him significance. In verse 20, he turns it around. He rose and came. That's what it says in scripture. He arose and came. In other words, he came means to come into being, to be established, become known. You know, they're all attributes to speak of finding his identity afresh. Your identity is really important. It's who you. It's what it. What gives you purpose and what makes you feel like you. you who you you are. Identity is an important thing. If you've got no identity, you're just you're just at the whim of any decision or anything in the world that happens oh I'll go and do this or I'll go and do that or because you've got no focus on who you really are you've got no kind of um you've got no um, understanding of you know I'm going to kind of put a flag in the ground and say this is what I believe you need to sometimes just stand up for what you know is right you know and say and and it forms your identity many times in scripture of course we see that it says that our identity is found in Christ in Christ, in Christ. Uh, actually, in the New Testament, it says that, that word 53 times. It's in Christ. I live and move and have my being. And so we find our true identity in knowing who Christ is because he made us and he helps us to know who we are. So, you know, but this young man, it said he rose and he came. It means to be established, it means to come into being. Um, and And the truth was, it says in the Bible, he was dead to his family because they didn't know where he was or what he was doing. They didn't know. But when he came into being, he started to live again. He came back to his father. And then it says he was established. He had nothing but the clothes on his back. Now he established with an extra set of clothes and a bedroom again to sleep in. Isn't that good news? So he got established and then he became known. He was just another face in the crowd. But now he came back to the people who knew him, his family, his loved ones. And he found significance because he made a decision to arise and go home and come back to truth and honesty. So we've got to make significant decisions and not just popular ones sometimes. There's There's a guy in the Old Testament called Daniel. You Remember the story of Daniel in the lion's den? um. And, um, of course, Daniel, he was living in a country that was not Christian. It was Babylon. Babylon. And uh, as he lived there, the king uh, got tricked into making a law. And the law was, you, everybody will worship me, the king, the, the ruler, the emperor. And so this law was put into place. But Daniel wasn't going to worship a man. He was going to worship his God, as he did three times a day, every day, all of his life. Uh, three times in the day, he'd open his windows in heaven and he'd pray to God. And so he wasn't about to back away from that. And that meant, of course, if he talked to God, he was going to get um, found out, which he did get found out. And, of course, then they said, well, you know, throw him in the lion's den. And so Daniel was thrown in the lion's den. And amazingly, a miracle happened. God closed the mouths of the lions and they became like little pussycats instead of lions. And then the king came to see if Daniel was alive. And uh, Daniel was alive all night. He'd been with his lions. And of course, the king then said, made a new law. He said, now everybody needs to worship the God of Daniel. So, quite literally, he changed a nation in some ways. I don't know if they did that forever, but there was an influence that he had that was powerful. And I want to say, Daniel, he didn't make a popular decision. The popular decision would be, well, God, I'll just not pray to you till this, this law blows over and I'll be right. No, he, he made a significant decision. And, and the decision was, I'm not going to give up worshipping and praying to my God. It put him in a bad situation, but God allowed that to unfold so that ultimately a whole nation could know that the God of Daniel is the God that saves people from lions. Miracle working God. And so it was a good decision. And it was, it was a significant decision, not a popular one. Here's the last thing. Um, And I've kind of intimated already, but (coughs) we need to make decisions out of humility and not pride or inflated ego. You know, it's so true. This young man treated his father with a certain amount of contempt. He was very disrespectful to his father in those initial early stages. But notice his father let him come, let him make the wrong decisions, didn't he? And uh, live out the consequences of his decisions. And uh, he didn't repay him with the same disrespect that was shown to him as a dad. And so when the young man comes back, we know the story. He saw this young man was repentant. He embraced him and kissed him. And, of course, they had a party. He gave him his his room back. He got him some clothes. He got him some food to eat. And the young man was restored, not just as a servant in the household, but as a son. And the reason that this young man was restored, because his decision was based on not pride or inflated ego. You know, inflated ego is a destructive thing to our lives. And so is pride. Pride messes up. It shreds the decisions we've got to make. It really messes us up. Pride doesn't take us anywhere. You know, uh, the look at me thing, or I'm looking so good, or I've got it all together, it really doesn't take us anywhere. It really destroys the decisions we try to make because it's often pride and inflated ego is based upon me and not the good of others. as what I want and what I want to do. And this young man had to humble himself. I think he was quite a, quite a large ego when he left his father's home. But when he came back, that was deflated and he humbled himself. And it actually says in Scripture, clothe yourself with humility. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, clothe yourself with humility. For God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Wow. You know when God says clothe, it's just not something, you know, we wear clothes all the time, don't we? And the clothes that you need to wear is humility. If there's ever a garment that you need to put on every day, it needs to be just humility. It's humility and we might say well yeah i'm good with that that's great but just realize that pride always wants to sneak in sometimes you find it sneaks in when someone comes you to come and do something that's be, that you feels a bit beyond you oh could you come and help me with something i need you to help me could you come and clean the toilets for me oh i don't do that <laughs> It's always a good, uh, it's always a good um, day when you find out where you're really at, when someone asks you to do something that you think's beyond you. It really checks. You've got to have a checkup from the neck up, haven't you? <laughs> have I got a little bit of uh, something floating around there I didn't think was possible? Have I got a little bit of ego there that I'm not willing to humble myself and do something? Or, or am I willing to serve? Am I willing to, to help? Am I willing to love? No, nothing is too low. Nothing was too low for Jesus. He's about to go to a cross, and and what he did was he's, this, they were having this meal with his disciples, and he took his his he took a a, a a towel and he started to and he knelt on his knees before the disciples and he started to wash their feet. That was it. That was a, and, and the, some of the disciples were a little bit. Oh, don't, Peter says, "Don't do that." And Jesus says, "If you don't, if I don't wash your feet, you have got no part with me, Peter." Oh yeah, wash, wash, wash. You know, so he humbled himself. It was a great. It's decisions made made out of humility are are often incredibly good decisions and not based on ego and pride because it says we need to clothe ourselves with that every day we need to put it on so you've got to put it on you know what I'm saying because sometimes we can take it off you got to put it on you don't want to be naked do you it's not a good show you got to put something you got to put something on it's called humility. Put it on if you can. Put, if, if the Word of God says you could put it on, that means you could probably take it off. So choices are incredibly powerful. Choices are incredibly powerful, and the greatest choice you can make in your life, you know, is is to live honestly, to live truthfully. It's to live, of um, course. Um, uh, with significance and not just not just the popular decisions and it's the choice to live not with an inflated ego not with the me syndrome but with others syndrome you know uh, with humility and not self-ego and pride but you know out of all the decisions I made in my life as a 13 year old I am forever grateful that I made the decision to put Jesus first in my life forever grateful it was the greatest decision and I often say this but I think at a as a 13-year-old, I made a decision for Christ to put Him first in my life, and then I went through my teenage years as a Christian. And the fact that I was going through my teenage years, I probably done the worst things as a Christian than I did before I was a Christian, simply because I went through, went through uh, my Christian, uh, my Christianity was as my teenage years. But I tell you what, I'm so thankful because I could have got such bigger messes if it wasn't for Christ, if it wasn't for Jesus. And you know, I want to just say tonight. Um, You need Christ. And the reason we need Christ is because we all have had a past. We've all got a past. And I'm thankful that as we come before him and repent of that past, he says he takes our sin and shame and guilt and he throws it away. He forgets about it. It's as far as the east is from the west. And Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he's the one that can go into our past and, in a sense, wipe the slate clean for us and forgive us. Isn't that amazing? Through Christ. The other reason that we need Jesus is because we all need a friend. and you might say, oh, "Well, well, he's not really physical. No, the Holy Spirit's come, and He's a spirit, but He can live within us, and He can help us to live so right for Him, because He can convict us of sin. He can, he can live within us. And, it, and that's a friend. He knows the worst about you. You know Did you know that not all of us know the worst things that we've all done in each other's lives? I don't know the terrible things. You, you don't know the terrible things you, I've done in my life. But guess who does? Jesus knows the worst things I've ever done because I can't hide anything from me. And he still loves me. Isn't that amazing? See, I've got some secrets from you probably and you've got some secrets from me. And look, to be honest, we don't need to hang, hang out our dirty washing for every person, Tom, Dick and Harry in the world. You know, but Jesus knows about everything of my dirty washing. There's not too much of it at the moment, I don't think. (laughs) If you're just wondering (laughs) if there's (laughs) some, but you know. But we need a friend like that who sees the, who knows the worst about you, but believes the best for you. Because why does he do that? Because he sees he sees you as you can become, and not what you are right now. The third little area, because why we need Jesus, is because he holds the future. I asked the team just to actually just ask Kate if you just could come on the piano tonight. That'd be great, Kate. Just the piano. Third is because he holds the future. I don't know what the future holds, but I do know who holds it, and that creates great confidence, great identity for me. And when I know that he's got it and he's got it and then anything that happens that's out of the blue and unexpected delays like I was speaking this morning or the problems that may be ahead that I didn't know about that were coming. And I'm glad I didn't know they were coming, but I'm just glad that he knows about it because if I'm going to go through it, at least I'm going to want to go through it with him. And he makes all the difference. He holds the future. What else are you going to trust in I pray for our politicians, but I'm not going to trust in our government. I'm not being disrespectful to them. I pray for whoever's going to be leader, and we'll continue. But you know what I mean? I can't trust in man. I can't put all my hope. Well, this person will bring it through. You know, the reality is, even as, as, as much as I love my wife and my wife loves me, they're not, they're not my ultimate person that helps me to be, feel like I've got wholeness and truth every day. No, Michelle doesn't do that for me. We, we encourage love and care for one another, but people can't give that to you. Only God can. You know, if I put all the weight of expectation on her to make me feel good, well, that marriage is going to crumble. People don't. See, we've got a we've got a God, who are we going to trust? In His hands, you're safe. You know what he says about it? He says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord in Jeremiah 29. I know that God doesn't have to look up some database to find out what you're up to or what plans he has. He knows it straight away. Incredibly, God, he is, he is everywhere and all knowing. So when he hears my name and when I cry out to him, he says, yeah, 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 I've got it. I know, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. And guess what? They're plans for good and not for evil. woo and their plans for a future and a hope. And in those days when you pray, I will listen to you. I love that. So have you got that reassurance tonight that Jesus is in control of your life? Have you got that reassurance that he is there? Can we stand tonight? If you would like to begin a new relationship with Jesus Christ... You know, there's a there's the chance that maybe you're here tonight and you've never publicly confessed Jesus as your Lord and Savior. He says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Heavenly Father. In other words, you've got to be real about your faith. You've got to put it up there. You've got to fly the flag. Yeah, I'm a Christian. We don't have to be silly or ridiculous, but we need to say, yep, hey, I'm, a, I'm a Christian. And maybe you've never done that tonight. Maybe you've never publicly committed your life to Christ. Maybe, or maybe you've never committed your life to Christ. Or maybe tonight you're here and you know you just need to do it because you need to do it again. Because you just walked away or you walked in a different direction. And there's an opportunity. And if you want me just to pray with you tonight, my prayer is any better than yours or anybody else's, but it's the best we'll do here tonight. I, can we just close our eyes for a moment? Who would just say yeah. yes to Jesus? Just raise your hand. I'll see that hand. You can put it down again. Or yes, again, maybe. I'll only give a few minutes, but I do want to give the opportunity because I think it's important. We're all cool? That's great. right i I'm going to pray for you anyway. But how about this, this question tonight? If we know tonight we've got, some, we've got to make some better decisions in life, that we've got to just start... To, um, you know be real about our decisions and the decisions we make and and there's some decisions we need to um, there's some things we need to discard and there's some things we need to pick up and start to run with you know it's not combination that God wants to on, but there is a conviction and he wants to bring life for you and blessing and and you know the decisions you need to make and the decisions you don't need to make you don't need me to tell you that, but the Holy Spirit does convict us and if you're just saying. I just I just need your strength, God, to make right decisions. Could you just raise your hand tonight? I just want to pray. If you just know tonight there's some decision, I just need strength, God, to make good decisions. Come on, let's be honest with ourselves. Honest with no one's looking, it's just us. Let me pray tonight. Father, tonight, you see, every hand that's raised. And our response is to you tonight. It's not to each other. We're not trying to impress other people, but our response is to you. And we humble ourselves before you. And God, we lift our hands to you and say, God, help us because we need strength to make right decisions. Because we're ultimately, we're going to be the makers of our destiny, Father. And we want to live by your truth and live in obedience to you and your words. So help us, Lord. Holy Spirit, come even as we stand tonight with our hands raised. Holy Spirit, impart your truth and encouragement into our lives so that we would stand strong in the, in the time of temptation or trial. That we, Father God, would make right decisions tomorrow and the next day. In our workplaces, in our family situations, in our schools, in our... Uh, the Father, with our friends that sometimes we want to just... Uh, Father, sometimes they pull us away and we'd walk in truth. Father, we ask for your help to do that because, Lord, we are human and we're weak sometimes, but we ask for your strength. It says when we're weak and we acknowledge you, you make you turn it into strength, Lord, and we need that Holy Spirit. Father, we commit people, every person tonight, as they raise their hand, Holy Spirit, right now, we yield to you. You do what I can't, and that is strengthen us, impart into us by the transforming power of your presence in Jesus' name. Father, we ask you and thank you. I ask for that, but we thank you for your strength and your love in Jesus' name. Everyone agreed, said? Amen. Come on. Let's just worship in this last song. Um, Is that possible by yourself, Kate? Great. May I come? Come on.